Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Newton Cheng, who is a Berkeley Haas MBA alum, as well as a Director of Health and Performance at Google. Excited to talk uh, to Newton. We've had a chance to uh, chat a little bit uh, prior to uh, getting a chance to come on and record this, and I've loved following some of his work uh, on LinkedIn. And Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Newton's journey, as well as talking a little bit about some of the topics of mental health and what he's learned in his journey, as well as through some of the work that he has done in terms of speaking with MBA students and other professionals about these topics and the intersection of mental health, the workplace, and careers. So, Newton, thank you so much for being here today. Always uh, love being able to talk shop and to have people on the podcast that I've been able to meet and build a nice bond with. And I guess as a starting point for this conversation, could you talk to me a little bit about what you were doing before you went to Haas and got your MBA? And why did you choose to go to business school in the first place? Well, first, Al, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Uh, big fan. And any opportunity to, I think, serve, whether it's past, current, or future MBAs, there's a lot of incredible people in that community. So thank you for the opportunity. In terms of my journey, before the MBA, I was actually an electrical engineer. I was working for a company that was a partner of Sony. And so I spent the first six years of my career working on the PlayStation 3. And if I take a step back to say, how did you end up in that career? I'm going to be honest, like many MBAs are very driven and they have a plan. I have come to realize like I'm type B and I had no plan. And so I was just copying what my older sisters were doing, where they're very smart. I look up to both of them. And so they had both gone and become, gotten their bachelor's in electrical engineering and then their master's in electrical engineering. And so I thought, hey, I'm pretty good at math and science. I'll follow them. So I got my degree in electrical engineering. I didn't know what to do at that point. And so I basically chose my job options based on location or had the options of going to Wisconsin, Austin, Texas, or California. And growing up in Illinois, I thought, hey, California sounds awesome. Let's go there. So fast forward six years later, I decided engineering really wasn't for me. It was full of amazing intellectual challenges. I worked with some awesome people, but I found the style of the work kind of isolating. Like I knew I was much more suited for a job that was more people-focused, more relational in the day-to-day -day work. At the same time, I had always had this side interest in health and fitness. And people were always asking me, hey, can you train me? You seem to be into working out. You seem to know what you're doing. And for a long time, I said, no, I'm not qualified. I got a day job. What eventually happened was that I hit a point in my engineering career where I had gone through a design review on a circuit board that I was working on, and it went terribly, to be frank. So I went in thinking I'd get sign off, I'd have the holidays off. I came out seeing I'd likely have to work through the holidays. 
And at that point, I come from a, a traditional Asian American upbringing. I was walking down the hallway. I was super dejected. And this thought crossed my mind. And it was, if you didn't care what your parents thought, what would you do right now? And I didn't jump to an MBA. I jumped to, I'm going to buy a bottle of vodka and I'm going to get loaded. And that's exactly what I did. But then the wake up call for me was like, okay, you got loaded. Now what? Because you're still in the same situation. And I didn't have a greater aspiration. So it was at that point I decided, you know what? I'm going to explore this health and fitness thing. And so I, this is about four years into my engineering career. I took on a side job as a personal trainer. And what I discovered was I loved the fitness industry. I loved helping people improve their lives and grow personally. But working this day job as an engineer, working the side job as a personal trainer, as well as the one-to-one -one client setup, it was just, it felt totally unscalable. It, it was starting to turn into a grind. And so that's where I said, I need to bring these careers together somehow. And what I saw was in the corporate space that companies were starting to bring in these programs to support the health and well-being of their employees. Employees benefited because they got a better quality of life. And no one had to do things like sell memberships to gyms. And so I said, you know what? I want to figure out how that business works. I'm going to go get my MBA. I'm going to focus as much of my project work as I can on commercial fitness and the cor corporate health and fitness and health and well-being fields and see if I can find a job after school. And how did that experience go for you in business school? Were you able to explore those things or what do you feel like you got out of that experience once you finally showed up at Haas? So I'll, I'll jump to the end. It, it ends with a happy ending where I find my dream job at this amazing company, Google. Now let's go back two years. I came in, I had written in my admission essay that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to seize this opportunity of looking at the health and well-being of people via this platform of employers around the world. The moment you get into the MBA program, you think, oh my gosh, everyone is so smart. They're so impressive. And they're looking at all these other things. Like everyone's looking at consulting, iBanking, digital product management. And I immediately got swept up in that and started thinking, should I be doing that too? And so for... The first year, I tried to stick to my guns. I was filled with a lot of anxiety because everyone else was finding these plum internships in all of those fields. And honestly, there, there weren't a lot of opportunities in this broader field of health and well-being. Like I found one internship at a commercial fitness product creator, and that was really cool. Like I learned a lot via that, but it wasn't an opportunity to grow into something greater. And so for my first internship, I actually found a role in organizational development in a larger human resources function. And I started to think maybe I start in HR and then I move into the broader field of health and well-being from there. I left that internship dejected where I learned a ton. It was, in retrospect, a really important education, but it just reinforced that I was not on the right track. But at the same time, I was thinking, but I can't find the opportunities. So then entering my second year, I started to get 
pretty lost for about the first half of the year. And I really focused on schoolwork, the social side of things. I was actually the social chair for my class, so I could put a lot of energy in there. And then when it got to the job search and I started to lose focus, this is where I think the importance of an MBA community really stepped up for me. And my classmates, they all said, hey, we remember your story. We know what your aspirations were. Like, we found that inspiring. We want you to stick to it. Double down. You can do this. And I really needed to hear that, not just once, but from a community on an ongoing basis of people who I really respected. And so I think I was maybe the third to last to find a job in my entire class. And that was really scary. But it really, it, 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 I'd say the best description of it was dream job, which was I found this role as fitness operations manager at Google where back then Google was still scaling across the world. So I had the opportunity to take these super, at the time, like crazy luxurious perks around health and fitness and scale them like from beyond the headquarters to across North America and then around the world. And that has been an amazing ride. So one of the things when I talk to MBAs that in from my own lived experience, I can tell you very much is we talk a lot about the network and the community. And I think sometimes it can be really hard to encapsulate what that actually means or what that actually translates to outside of the obvious in terms of someone helping get a job, right? But I think what I love about that story is what you just talked about in terms of that support as well as that feedback and encouragement that you were getting as you were navigating through, particularly towards the end of your MBA experience, is some of the maybe intangible value and a more real encapsulation of what that network and what those relationships actually mean. And I think one of the things I always come back to is in things I talk about is this idea that your career is actually more of a team sport than an individual one than you would think. And you certainly are the star player on that team, but it is hard to get through or advance or grow without some people along your side. And I think your story in particular in that moment really shows you the power of having a great set of teammates alongside of you. And just like your, your teammates on your football team or your basketball team would pick you up after a bad practice or a rough, a rough go, your, it sounds like your classmates really picked you up in a moment and gave you some much-needed confidence or a boost of confidence in a, in a tough time. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Maybe there's some unicorns out there where their career is really an individual sure. uh, story where they're the hero of the entire story. I'm just going to say I'm not that talented and or lucky. So I needed it to be a team sport to make through this. And I continue to need it to be a team sport. And so I think that's one thing. And then as I think about the MBA community, we can get so focused on just like the networking and helping each other find opportunities. That's not a community. That's a marketplace. Like community means you are in like, I'm referencing an author named Charles Vogel who wrote the book part of community and then an, another great one called building brand communities. And he talks about a community being a group of people working towards some set of shared goals that shows mutual concern for one another. And so if I'm like, if, if this is just transactional and I'm saying, I'll help you so you can help me, that's not a community. So I'm sorry if that was your MBA experience, but that was not mine. Like we, we mutually cared for one another and that's where all of this came from. What was it like in that 
I think maybe even in a moment like that to, on one hand, be a very accomplished as an individual yourself, but then also to be around other incredibly, there's a lot of really smart people that I know that went to Haas, <laughs> like there, there just is. How did you navigate the benefits of that, I would assume in some ways in terms of, I'm sure your classroom experience was wonderful because you have really smart and talented peers around you, but also perhaps some of the challenges that may come with that in terms of, like you mentioned, being able to look to the left and your, to the right of you at that moment in time and realize you are one of, at that moment, the last people to be searching for a job. So I, th I think in terms of, I could have been in, overwhelmed with imposter syndrome and I definitely continue to feel a lot of imposter syndrome. I think I had this benefit of coming from this environment where the company where I was working as an engineer, I had a bachelor's in electrical engineering. And if you looked at the circle of cubicles around me, everyone had a PhD in electrical engineering, but me. And I had to stand toe to toe with them in like presentations and arguments about what was the right technical move on a weekly basis for six years. And so that was like my baseline. I came to the MBA program and people were just stunningly smart in ways that I couldn't have experienced in the, just the field of electrical engineering. There was just so much diversity of background and thought, but I used it as an opportunity to experiment, to say, I kind of looked at the system. I started to understand what this imposter syndrome thing was. And I said, okay, do you really want to play the game of trying to be the best of this? And I said, no, for two reasons. One, I don't think I'm talented enough. And then two, I think this might all be an illusion. So instead, I thought, if you don't have to play that game, what value do you want out of this? And so I very intentionally set the goal of saying, okay, academically, B plus, A minus all the way through. Like, you're not going to shoot for higher. And try not to go lower because you got to mess up pretty bad to, to get into those lower ranges or something has gone off the rails. And then second, the question was, okay, if you can put that aside, what do you really want out of this? And for me, it was growth, exploration, and connection. And so I made a lot of friends with really different backgrounds from me. I remember my first marketing class coming from, I was, again, a... All my only jobs had been electrical engineering. And we went through a case study and I couldn't understand why the product with the best technical specs didn't win in the market. Like I was that narrow, but I was surrounded by people who could see this much more holistically from a business standpoint. So that was a big aha for me of like, oh, I can learn a ton from the people around me if I just stay humble and open. And then second, there's something much deeper than that, which is, hey, this is a community of talented professionals who all said, I'm going to make an investment to step away from my working career to be part of this community. And when you start digging into it and you learn people's stories, you find out you have so many common both fears and aspirations. And if you put those on the table, you just turn back into human beings who happen to be in this like crazy context of an MBA program. But that's a way better starting point for building uh, a really rich community than, hey, what's your resume and what job are you going for? So after you graduated from Haas, you, as you mentioned, went to go to a company with also a lot of 
really smart and hardworking and talented people, and certainly full, chock full of opportunities working there since then. Could you talk a little bit about a couple highlights or experiences you've had professionally since uh, finding yourself uh, at Google after you graduated from Haas? Yeah, so a, a few things jump out to me. I remember when I started, I was on the main campus of Google, which is in Mountain View, California. And I don't know if this is a correct description, but one way I've heard it described is that our founders, Larry and Sergey, were very inspired by their experience of the Stanford campus. So as we designed the Google campus, it very much had this college atmosphere. It was very open and you could explore. And um, there was a lot of like fun activities and features throughout. And so I arrive and I ask my boss, I'm like, okay, what's the best way for me to learn the lay of the land here? And he said, why don't you take out the afternoon, hop on a bike and explore. And so there were a few things in there first. And I was like, bike, like I hadn't biked in years, but the Google campus is known for, they just have bikes lying around everywhere. So that yeah, for two reasons, one is it's easier to commute from building to building on a bike than having to repark your car. And then two, you actually get some fun exercise throughout the day, just getting from point A to point B. So I hopped on a bike and I just started exploring the campus for an afternoon. And I think at the time, I think we had four gyms distributed throughout the main campus. And I thought that was mind blowing. Like, wow, there are four gyms here. And so just for reference, now fast forward to where we are today, I think we have over a hundred staff fitness centers distributed around the world. That at the time I was just, my mind was blown. And so I'd bike around and I'd see, oh, there's a sand volleyball court. There's a basketball court. There's a skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's covered in flamingos. So you quickly got the sense like, this is a really different place. So that is one. Soon after that happened, the, so I got the job in August, 2008. And so we were right in the middle of the great recession. And so Google had slowed down on some of its real estate plans. And you had these large tech talks or large conference rooms that were just sitting unused because we weren't expanding as fast. At the same time, we were looking for new concepts to invite more people into a healthy community and movement-oriented lifestyle. It's traditional exercise, that's one way to do it. Sports is one way to do it. But then there was this like huge community around dance at Google. And so I remember I kept bugging my senior director of facilities saying, hey, there's a bunch of these spaces just sitting there. The dance community is really pushing. Can we have a dance studio? We can use it for group exercise if we have to convert it, but the dance community is really asking for this. And with the support of a lot of the team who did a lot of the programming and the design of the space, and then the support of our partners and facilities, we actually built a dance studio. And what we found was with the programming, because it was dance oriented, it brought in a whole different segment than like Zumba is... For those who don't know, it's this Latin dance style that's been turned into a group exercise class. That is like a nice crossover. But we were doing things like intro to jazz dance. W one of the most popular classes was actually called How to Dance at a Club, an Analytical Approach. And a friend of mine at Google actually learned to dance through that class for his first date with his now wife. 
that was like one of those magical experiences where I'm like, we would never be able to build this at another company. But at Google, there was an openness to try these things. And you just, you saw things like male software engineers traveling a mile across campus to take intro to jazz. Like, that's amazing. What a magical place. Where else could you do something like that? Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. What a magical place, and also to, with the benefit of hindsight now, to be able to be at a place of growth and expansion in that time of Google's history, right, in terms of where it was to where it is today. And I know today, I was you know, looking at your title, the Director of Health and Performance. Could you talk about how you think about health and well-being, particularly knowing, so you were in intellectual engineering, which is a pretty demanding, rigorous field of study. You went to business school at a top institution like Haas, and you've worked at a top performing company like Google. How do you think about well-being and performance, particularly knowing of all the places that you've been, and also for that matter, just how things have been over the past couple of years in the workplace? Yeah, so I'll first preface this with, there are so many different models or frameworks around health and well-being out there. And so what I will say is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run through like multiple models as quickly as I can, it's still not going to be enough and it's still going to be too Western of a mindset. So it's going to be very, the way Americans think about health and well-being, which might be completely at odds with someone from say Asia or Africa. Now, the way I think about it, there's like increasing levels of complexity. And I think very much about health and well-being with the intersection of performance, both at work and in life. So this is probably, you could argue with me of like, why do you need to do that? This is how I live my life. Like I have goals, I want to get stuff done. So these things interact to me. Now, the most basic model of, I'll focus first on the performance side, is a lot of how I was raised, where it's all just about mental toughness and grit. And you don't actually think about health and well-being. Like any discomfort, you say, it's all in your head, keep grinding. That is a pretty outdated model. And if you were to look at our trends around health and well-being, as well as especially mental health and burnout, I would say that model really needs to just go out the window. But to be fair, it's really baked into my head. Now, if I advance this model a little bit, you have uh, slightly more sophisticated models around prioritizing and time boxing your activities. And so that doesn't really speak yet to health and well-being. It really talks about managing your time so you can hopefully get your arms around everything and not get overwhelmed and burned out. Now, if we get a little more sophisticated, I have a segment of models that I would say, I would call them categorically the cognitive athlete models. And so there was a author and researcher, Jim Lair, who collaborated with an author, Tony Schwartz. And Tony eventually licensed his material and created this thing called the Energy Project. 
as well as a course called Manage Your Energy. And what they said was, hey, you can't just manage your time. You have to think about managing your energy across your day. And you can think of that as physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, and spiritual energy. Now, advancing that model, you have thought leaders and thought leading organizations like one of our partners is Exos, which is the leading corporate fitness provider that also works with special forces military, as well as pro athletes. And they talk about how you need to optimize not just movement, you can think of that as physical exercise, nutrition, recovery, and you can think of that as both like managing stress throughout the day, taking breaks, as well as sleep. And then you can, th the last pillar is mindset. So what is your mental approach to achieving your goals and keeping in mind all these things around movement, nutrition, and recovery? Now, the issue there is that's still limited to just an individual. And as we're deeply interconnected with people in our social network, our families, as well as the environment around us. So the last model I will reference is one called the Harvard Flourishing Index. This is not the end-all be-all, but it is a very well-researched backed model that points to a lot of the research that shows areas that show like evidence-based increases in an individual's well-being. And of course, there's things like physical and mental health. It also talks about things like financial stability, social relationships, meaning and purpose, and then character and virtue. And so you can see it's like much more holistic. And then from a spiritual sense, it goes much deeper. And so that's where we're ultimately trying to take the conversation now. And it's very messy and exploratory because these are really big topics, but leaving those topics off the, off the table, you're just not recognizing the full richness of humanity. So I know as part of what you, some of what you do right now is you get the privilege and chance to talk to students, particularly MBA students, about mental health and in the workplace. And you've done some workshops, you've done some talks. I would love to know how have those been going and what are some of the topics or things that come up or questions that get asked or feedback that you get from being able to do some of those talks in those workshops? Yeah, so for some background, in May 2022, I returned from a few months of mental health leave and then new parent leave. And so coming back to the workplace and knowing how many people were struggling with mental health just like me, I started speaking openly about my experience with burnout and mental health leave. And what happened was that immediately started accelerating. So I started getting pulled in for more talks, for podcasts, interviews, and then eventually the, the request came to turn those talks into workshops for teams. And so at that point, I wasn't sure what to do. So I just took my talk where I told my story and offered some insights. And then I tried to marry it with tips and tricks around managing your mental health. And honestly, that wasn't that valuable. Like right now, if you were to go to Google's Bard or ChatGPT and ask the same questions about mental health that people were asking me, those services would do as good a job answering those questions as I did. And so I kept trying to think, okay, but what problem really needs to be solved for these groups? And what it boiled down to was that it's not so much about the tips and tricks because there's a lot of information out there. It's 
how do we manage this tension between people's ability to manage their health and well-being and then to perform in all the, the most critical roles in their life? Not just professional, but it could be things like, for me, it's husband, father, I'm a competitive athlete, and I'm a leader in the workplace. So that's an incredible amount of tension. And there's no easy way to solve some of those tensions. And they interact with your larger team in your organization. So the current, I think, instinct for a lot of people is to just hide a lot of their struggles and try to figure them out on their own. But what people really wanted was to be seen by those people around them that affect their environment and that they're relationally connected to in these organizations so that they could work together to figure out ways that everyone can take care of themselves and each other. So the new format of the workshop is, yes, I tell my story, but then I name that tension. This is not just about mental health. This is about how do you manage your health and well-being while showing up at your best in all the most important roles that you need to play. And I don't have any solutions for you, but I can set the stage and I can give you frameworks and language to talk about this with one another. And so that's what I've been doing with these workshops is creating a safe and vulnerable space for people, whether it's just with their community, such as MBA students, or whether it's a team at Google to talk with their teammates about where are these tensions, how do they think about their health and well-being, and what's working and what's not in terms of finding that magical intersection of maintaining good health and well-being and performing at their best. And so that's what I'm doing. Now, in terms of what I'm learning is it's pretty common or it's pretty unsurprising. MBAs are really driven. The MBA experience, you come in and you're just blown away by how impressive everyone is. So you immediately start trying to up your game. At the same time, you're on this two-year compressed schedule where you're spending a lot of money and you feel this immense pressure to do everything you can and squeeze everything you can out of this experience while finding your dream job. And if you don't do all those things, then you're afraid that you've just flushed a bunch of money down the toilet. And so that's ridiculous amount of pressure. And what I found with specifically talking to MBAs were a lot of them, they didn't find a place or they hadn't found a place where they could say this out loud, even with like their friends or fellow classmates, because everyone was in the same rat race. And they felt like saying it out loud, like maybe I look like I don't belong or I'm weaker or I'm not as talented. And so what people really desired, I think, was one, a space to feel seen in how stressed out and overwhelmed they were. And then two, maybe just the opportunity to question, hey, like, yes, this is baked into the system, but we are the system. Like, is this how we want to create this joint MBA experience for one another? I am curious. Now that you have had some more time to come back into the MBA world and spend some more time doing these workshops and talking to more students, and I know that you've been out of business school for a decade, if not more, like any observations or just thoughts just about the opportunity and value of having an MBA experience and getting an MBA degree? particularly knowing what some of the things that you just talked about in terms of just being able to somehow find that intersection of 
taking care of yourself and performing at your best, knowing that many of the folks who go to business school end up working in pretty high-performing environments or demanding jobs or, or want to have a demanding career. Any thoughts on that? Yes. And I'll, I'll talk about it in three different phases. And so for some reference, I'm 15 years out of my MBA career. And I think if I think about year one, when I came out of the MBA career, and I'll, I'll just keep referencing the question, what is the ROI on an MBA, which all of us MBAs have to answer all the time and are very sick of. And I'm, I'm be curious if you polled your audience, like what people say and how many people like deeply believe what they just said. So coming out of the MBA, I basically just parroted the same talking points everyone else was saying. It's like, oh, it's the network. And basically it's like a credentialing from this amazing brand like Haas Berkeley. And therefore you get access to these opportunities, whether it be because you have the Haas Berkeley name associated with you or you're uh, utilizing the network. And so I would just say that and then say your results may vary. So who knows? That was my question or my, my answer to what's the ROI. The next phase, I think what I started to do was, I think I started questioning much more heavily of, I don't know. There's a lot of people making good points about, hey, so for some of the value you said you're getting from the MBA, you said, I think you can get that elsewhere. Like the technical learning, you can definitely get that elsewhere. The network. Like you could probably build that on your own if you're motivated enough. And then in terms of like opportunity costs, you're like, and you save the money and you could have kept working in the workforce and gained two years more experience. So maybe the ROI is even negative. I would make space for that conversation and I didn't really want to agree with it because I had plunked down the money and it just made me feel bad. So now fast forward, we just had our 15 year reunion for the Haas Berkeley class of 2008. And I came away from that with a very different perspective where I've let go of the concept of ROI, where I think about my life more as, you know what, I've had some wins, I've had some losses. It's all my life. I'm taking it as it is. And questioning whether it was good or bad is really, it's not really a useful exercise. I just want to own my story and be happy about it. My experience of that weekend was that many of my classmates were, were now in our 40s. We have kids. Many of us have made it to pretty senior roles in various organizations. And between that, as well as the experience of the pandemic, what I found was many people are asking some big questions about life and specifically the life they want to live. So they have built a successful career. And I think they're starting to look back and say, does this align with what I want? Not just innately, but moving forward. And so we're entering what there's an author, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest. And he writes this amazing book called, he's wrote this amazing book called Falling Upward, I really like. And he talks about the transition from first half to second half of life first half is all about proving yourself, but ultimately you're building yourself into a strong enough container to hold your true purpose in the second half of your life. And that's what I saw happening with so many of my classmates at this 15-year reunion. What are those big questions coming up? 
like they're impressive. They had achieved so much. They were strong containers. And now they're looking to, to fill that container with what is my true purpose? And so now if I think about the value of the MBA, I don't know if the ROI was positive, but what I have now is a community of amazing people where we do have mutual care for one another and we're all on the same journey together. Yeah, we had that amazing Haas experience together. We all went off and we built our careers and we worked hard and had amazing experiences. And now we got to figure out the next thing. And I have a bunch of friends who are all on that journey together who I can call up and say, hey, how are you thinking about this? I'm feeling a little lost today. And what's the ROI on that? I don't know. But for me, it is invaluable. I think a couple things I take away from that. The first is, one of the things I tell people is that graduating from business school is a fantastic accomplishment. But the reality of it is that it's really the beginning of the learning and the journey as opposed to the end. And you should be grateful for graduating and thankful for graduating and, and proud of yourself. But the re simple reality is if you graduate between the ages of 27 and 35, you're going to be working for a long time. And there is a much more of a road ahead. And as much as you learn in business school, the learning, I think, is that you are in a position to continue to keep learning and to continue to keep exploring. The second thing is to the point you made of getting to a point where you all are now at another point in your careers where guess what? You're still asking those big questions. And so there's two things that come with that. First is just the awareness, the opportunity, the privilege to be able to ask those questions in the first place, right? Because not all of us get that, ch that chance, not all of us get that choice. But the second element of that is that you have the opportunity to ask those questions of yourself and you're not alone in trying to figure out how to solve them. And I think those are the things that really stand out to me, at least from just hearing you talk, but also just from my own observations, talking with other people who have been around the same year's amount out from, from business school. Yeah, maybe to bring it back to something earlier, you said, like yeah. your career is definitely a team sport. The realization yeah. we're coming to is, yeah, so is your life. And we were right. always here to help each other live the lives we wanted, even though we were mainly talking about careers. I'm curious, how has your own definition or vision of career success, or what, or I should say, what is it? And how has that evolved or not evolved, perhaps since you walked across that stage and got your diploma from Haas 15 years ago? I think coming out of Haas, while I was really pursuing this career of passion around health and well-being in the workplace, I did spend the next few years conventionally climbing, achieving, and, and checking boxes. I had chosen my lane, but then I went back to those old behaviors of, okay, that's the important project. I have these skills. I will jump in this way. That will look great on my performance review. That'll position me for the next promotion. And while I think I wasn't overtly saying those things, they were just built into my reflexes. It was just very clear. At some point, before my mental health leave, but the mental health leave was really the breaking point where I, I had to get really clear about, is this the life I want to live? And is this the way I want to spend all of my energy moving forward? I really had to search and say, the question I wrestle with even today, and it's not so much that I need to find the answer, it's I have to continue to wrestle with it, otherwise 
I might start chasing the wrong thing is if I put aside all the accomplishments, all the labels, all the titles, who am I and what do I want? And if I can keep wrestling with that, it's pretty easy to see, I don't need another promotion. Um, more money is always nice, but we've done good financial planning. We're going to be okay. And pursuing more money comes at the cost of other things like time with my children or time with my spouse or time with myself. And so I think the things that I'm trying to think about are, am I building not just a career I want, but am I building a life that I want to live? And that involves, am I the husband I want to be? Am I the father I want to be? Am I the athlete I want to be? And then I have this magical opportunity of being a business leader. How am I using that to impact the world or at least some people in a really positive way? And if I can anchor to that, I think the money may or may not follow. I don't think I'll get fired, but it sounds a lot more like building life I want to live. Well, Newton Chang, this has been an incredible conversation. I've really loved chatting with you and hearing more about your journey, your story, and some of the learnings you've gotten along the way. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where should they find you? Two places. My name is easily searchable, and I assume it'll be in the show notes, so you'll be able to see the spelling. LinkedIn, just look for Newton Chang. That one is more focused on, of course, my professional career, as well as my thoughts around mental health in the workplace and beyond. And then second would be on Instagram, where a lot of that is about my journey as a power lifter. But so for context for your, your audience, I'm a multi-time world and national champion masters power lifter. And this season I'm pursuing the open, which is the all age classes national championship. So you can watch that journey where I talk about both my training, but also the intersections of how do you make this work with being a family man and then a business leader at Google? Because there's a lot to juggle. <laughs> and so that's on Instagram. Hi everyone, LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.